We are starting new series in the Psalms, and I'd like to ask us this question. Church family, how much of your Christian faith is head, is from the head, and it's about duty and loyalty and commitment and going the distance and doing the thing that you're supposed to do? How much is about your head? All those are good things. How much is your Christian faith like that? Duty, commitment, got to do it. How much is the heart? How much is the heart? How much is this your longing? How much do you, with all of your passion and desire, cling to and hold on to Jesus? How much do you say, oh, I cannot imagine life without you, Lord Jesus. How much is from the head? How much is from the heart? We're doing a summer series in the Psalms. The reason to get in the Psalms, we do it each summer actually. The reason to get in the Psalms is it's a songbook. Do you know this? It's a massive songbook in the Bible. The Lord has given us, as part of his word, he thought, I know what these people need. They need a massive songbook because songs do things. You know, we're meant to sing the Bible because it is great medicine for cold hearts which haven't stirred and been moved towards the Lord. If you find yourself, and I find myself like this, getting more passionate about other things, it doesn't matter what they are, a film, the weekend, a website, football, whatever, and you've got more passion, you're more stirred, you more more want to talk about that than you do about the Lord. Well, the Psalms are great medicine. Songs, you know, psalms, songs have been described as truth on fire. They take truths and they warm up a cold heart. They get it into the heart. I listen to songs. I don't know if you listen to songs. It's a good, like, here's a little bit of discipleship advice. Get loads of songs, loads of Christian songs. Psalms or songs based on the psalms or songs based on the whole Bible. Get them in your life. Get them in your car. Get them in your kitchen, play them to your kids, fill your day and your night even. Go to bed with songs about the Lord and watch how it stirs you up. I have particular songs I run to, particular ones I love to listen to. They bring me to tears and I'm singing them. Fill your life with great songs. The Lord's kind of prescribed it as medicine, like, I know you need it. So he's given it to us in the Bible. Because, of course, remember, brothers and sisters, the command, the first and greatest commandment, remember what it is? Right, it's not to believe, like almost everyone, like most people, believe in the Lord or believe in God. There's few people who don't. But the commandment is love him. Love him. That's the command. 
Remember, James says, James in the New Testament says, the demons acknowledge that there's one God and they shudder. But Christians, God's people, love him. So the question we're asking, even as we're having conversations, is, yeah, okay, do you believe in God? I mean, that's a pretty good first step, but really, do you love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? The Psalms are going to help us get that love. But they do another thing. They teach us as well. Songs teach us really powerfully. There was a conference just finished this past week called New Day. It's a big youth conference. can't remember where it is. Halifax or somewhere like that. Um, and the preacher said to, you know, the gathered throng, the big massive youth, must have been very smelly in there. There was a lot of people there and he said to them all, um, I want you to finish this sentence. He said, Jesus said, I will build my what to them. Now, the way I heard this was because someone was in the midst of all of this and they said, most of the young people around him said life. And the reason for that, they commented underneath, was they've all been singing the song, I will build my life upon that rock. Right, not a bad song, great song. Pat Barrett, I think we sing it here. Great song, lovely words. But it's kind of programmed them so that when you say, I will build my, they go, oh, life. Instead of the actual verse that Jesus says in Matthew 16, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I, I just make the point. Songs are powerful. They give us our vocabulary. They teach us. They, they kind of finish, you know, when it comes to finishing a sentence, you'll probably finish it with the line of a song, because songs are powerful. So it's a big responsibility for Christian songwriters everywhere. What you write and what we sing, that goes in, teaches us, it shapes us, it shapes our language. But God knows that too. So he's given us a songbook. He's like, here you go. I know this shapes you. So I'm giving you a songbook, the Psalms, massive book in the Bible. And some of the Psalms, I'm sure you're familiar with them. If you've not read the Psalms, read the Psalms. We're going to do a few of them over the coming weeks. Some of them sometimes, they, they really resonate. You know, you read the Psalms, you'll be like, yes, that is exactly how I feel. That is exactly my experience right now. Sometimes they don't. And you're thinking, I'm not quite sure how this is supposed to, like, fill me with emotion right now. But that's an interesting, that's a good place to stop. Because the Lord's like, no, I want you to sing this one too. I want you to sing this song too. You know, ask yourself the question, why can't I sing this? What's stopping me? Because the Psalms, remember, they, they want to capture all of our emotions, not just the things we love and the things we get excited and celebrate about, but the things we despise and loathe. The Lord does call us. It's like there's some things, there's some destructive things, there's some dehumanizing things you should hate. And he teaches us that in the Psalms too. So we get this full range. You know our forefathers, our, our ancestors in the faith called them the affections. The Christian or the religious 
affections, not just love, it's not just soppiness and emotionalism, the affections, the desires, the passions. The Psalms are meant to foster and encourage all the affections. And the particular ones we're looking at, I will get to it, this is my little introduction, the particular ones we're looking at are Psalms 120 onwards, and they are called the Psalms of Ascent, or the Songs for the Journey. So we're going to start in a minute, we're going to, in fact, we're going to, we're going to say it out loud in a minute, not just yet, I'm just preparing you. Uh, Psalm 120, they are Songs of Ascent. Now the the idea for these particular psalms was they were meant to be read as God's people traveled to Jerusalem. So three times a year, they would go to the city, to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, to the temple for festivals. And these psalms, these songs were the songs they sang on the way, probably. So you can see it's, they're kind of moving, they're on a journey, they're heading towards this meeting place. Remember, Jerusalem, Zion, the temple, that is the meeting place of God with God's people. So these are songs for the journey. These are, their, these are the songs they've put on in the car. Well, not the car, maybe the chariot or the donkey. You know, they're singing them together as they move, as they're moving. Now, just remember that. Just remember, that is important because that for us, right, we're not going to Jerusalem anytime soon. For us, remember, that was all meant to serve when they were going to Jerusalem, when they were going up. They were going up. That's why it's called ascents. They're going up. It is actually up a hill. When they're going up there, when they're going to this, this temple, all of that was meant to show them what it, what it is to be a people who are looking forward to meeting with, communing with, being with the Lord their God. And remember, Jesus comes along, doesn't he? He says, I'm greater than the temple all of this temple, all of this land, all of this Zion and Jerusalem, that city of peace, as it was called, that was pointing to me. And so as Christian people now, as God's people now, journeying as we are, moving towards, ever closer towards a great future with Jesus, we sing the songs. We do sing a lot of songs. Here's the songs they sang. Right, let's try read it together. It's going to come up on the screen, Psalm 120. And we'll try, just because, you know, the Psalms were meant to be read, like, together as a congregation. It's only short. Uh, let me just give you the heads up. Uh, verse 5, two place names. Let's go for Meshech and Kedar. I don't, I don't know how to say them properly, but we'll just, we'll just go with that. But we'll say them together. Shall we start? Here we go. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right. So, what is it? that is 
on the psalmist's lips. What are they singing as they set out on the journey? In fact, what are they getting distressed about? That was the first line, wasn't it? He's distressed, the psalmist is distressed, cornered. I feel tense and upset. I'm stressed, I'm distressed. What is it? Verse 2, save me, Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. That's what. These things, this stuff, these organs. And then immediately another voice comes in in the psalm. What will he do to you? And what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows with burning coals of the broom bush. The broom bush, by the way, was a, a hardwood that burned long and burned hot. The idea is you're distressed about lying lips and deceitful tongues. And then this other voice comes in and says, so is the Lord and he will deal with that. He's upset about it and it won't last much longer. He won't truck with those things either. Now, for those of us who know our Bibles a little bit, this is a common thing for the prophets and the apostles to talk about this apparatus up here. They do it quite a lot. Here is Isaiah. Here's the prophet Isaiah. When he has a vision of the Lord, you'll remember it. He says, woe is me. I'm doomed, he says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The moment he, he's confronted with the King, straight up he's just like, oh, my speech and the speech of those around me. It's a, it's a lament. These things of ours they create war. And not just war over lands and territories like the big things that happen on the world stage with Ukraine or whatever, but war over the washing up. Am I right? When the people you love and trust the most say cutting things. That grieved Isaiah. And it should grieve us. It should hurt think of the apostle james i love it i often do the story that james tells uh the little illustration he goes think of a massive boat right he goes you think of a huge boat driven by strong winds james says but controlled by a tiny rudder and it goes wherever the pilot wants to go by this tiny little rudder and then he says likewise the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It over-exaggerates. It inflates what's real. It emphasizes. It embellishes in order to point score, claim the credit, win the argument, make everyone think we're better. See, if I think I'm king, and you think you're king, and we come together, then who's going to be king? Well, I'm going to try and use this thing here, very, sometimes very, very subtly. We're very, very clever, 
but I'll embellish. I'll change it up. I'll present something to you in order to win. We do that. And James meant that. He spends a whole chapter, pretty much, chapter three, talking about the tongue. And it's been this way since the very beginning. Do you remember the Adam and Eve story? I just find this so fascinating when you go back to scriptures. It's wonderful, isn't it? When you go back into the Bible, you're just like, oh, wow. Adam and Eve, there they are in the Garden of Eden. They've taken the fruit of the tree, and now they know. They know what they've done. And the first thing they do, remember? They get fig leaves, and they start trying to cover it up, cover their shame, cover their nakedness. They start fabricating and concealing, and they start hiding from the Lord, and hiding, you know, concealing themselves from one another. Their whole lives are now becoming a deception. They want to cover and hide. And ever since, ever since, the human race, we don't, we don't do it with fig leaves, but with these things here, with this apparatus here, we cover, we conceal, we hide, we try and present to the world something different than what's really going on, and we cut down, and we destroy, and we hurt, and it's lamentable. The, uh, the latest headline to break the, break the news this week is Lizzo. I'm, I'm not sure, I don't really know who this person is, but superstar in America. Lizzo, who um, has built a brand on body positivity. Am I getting some nods? Do people know this person? Body positivity and affirmation. And then, of course, her, her dancers are now filing a lawsuit against her for the very thing that she was campaigning for, for weight shaming, sexual harassment, all these kind of things. Now, the point is, a court now has to figure out who's telling the truth. Who's telling the truth? Who's telling the truth? Are you, are you this person who is absolutely 100% for and affirming and, you know, there to promote body positivity and all that? Or are the dancers right? It's not just high-profile celebs, though, is it? It's not just high-profile celebs. These problems come so much closer to home. And especially, and it should be, brothers and sisters, for us as the people of God, it should be particularly hurtful because all the while we are wanting to be, aren't we? A people of integrity, a people of truth, of truthfulness, a people for peace. And so the psalmist is like, oh, woe to me, the last part of the psalm. He goes, woe to me, I dwell in tents of Meshech and Kedar. Now, just to explain that, these two places, he can't live in both places at the same time because one of them, Meshech, is way up in the north, like a long way north of Jerusalem, and Kedar is like way down southeast of Jerusalem, like a long way away. So the point is, as they're journeying to Jerusalem, they're thinking of these places miles away from God, like a long way away. He feels like, when he looks out at the world, this psalmist, I feel like a million miles 
away from the Lord. And all around me, I'm living among those who hate peace, is what he says. I'm for peace when I speak, they're for war, they're for strife. The strife continues all the time. But remember, and here's the encouragement, we ought to feel that. And here's a question, isn't it? It's, if I don't feel that, am I just so assimilated with the world around me that I don't feel it? I just don't notice the difference. That's a good question to ask myself. It's a good question to ask myself. Does this bother me? If it doesn't, is it because I'm just so assimilated? I just do the same thing as everyone else. If it doesn't bother you, maybe there's those deeper questions of, am I actually pursuing a life of truth and peace and openness and honesty? Because the moment you start doing that, it's troubling. It hurts when people lie and they deceive and con you. But remember, here's the encouragement, right? You read this psalm, you think, oh my gosh, that's so depressing. <laughs> what a depressing psalm. No. It's the song they're singing on the way. They're going somewhere, right? So you can think about this psalm as, okay, we're starting out the journey. We're heading to the place of meeting with God. We're singing this song because the world is a difficult place. It's a difficult place to inhabit. It's hard to live here as God's people. It's hard. But we're moving forward. We're heading towards meeting with the living God in the temple at Jerusalem top of Mount Zion. And so for us, as we journey, brothers and sisters, remember who it is we're moving towards. This is what's said of Jesus. Listen to this. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And Peter said that when he was going through his trial and on his cross. Remember, that's, he's just picking up on Isaiah. Isaiah said those things. Peter's jumping off the back of that and saying, when he was at his heart, when he was at the worst point, when you know anyone would excuse a bit of deception because you're just about to be killed, you've got every excuse, no deceit. You can trust him, says Peter. This guy, this one, no lies. What he says is true. That's why when John, remember John in Revelation? When he has a vision of the Lord Jesus riding on a white horse, do you remember the names he gives him? Faithful and true. It's just one place to run to if you want truth you want someone to be honest with you and give you honest promises the world around us and myself will let myself and let the world will let me down one place i can run to the one who's called faithful and true and you know brothers and sisters this is the song we sing we meet here week by week it's not a pointless task don't be discouraged don't stop being together as God's people because we need to sing these songs 
We need to sing like this and remind each other, yeah, it's hard. I love that Chris Tomlin song where he's like, do you know the world is broken? And then all the choir goes, yeah, we do. <laughs> and do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. That's part of that song. I love that song. You know, we need to be together to sing those songs. To remember that we're on a journey, we're walking forwards, we're coming together, we're going somewhere. We're going to be with this Lord, the faithful and true one. In him is light and in him is no darkness. No darkness at all. And we can trust him. That's why the, the writer to Hebrews says, keep your gaze Keep your eyes fixed on him. Just keep them there. Keep watching him. Keep stepping forward. Keep walking. Keep going one foot in front of the other, brothers and sisters. One foot in front of the other. It's hard. Right? At times, it's hard. One foot in front of the other. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Trust him. He's the only place. It's the only place you can put your hope and confidence. There. Songs of ascent. Songs for the journey. Heart songs. Songs we sing together. Precious songs. We're meant to sing them. And we'll sing them until this journey is through. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're the one who hears our cries. You're the one who knows our distress. You're the one who knows what it feels like. Lord, at times the world is a wonderful place and there's so much to celebrate and so many good things happening and we can rejoice. At other times, it's a difficult and tragic and very hard place and we feel it. And so I pray and my prayer and our prayer is that we would run to you lord jesus this walk of ours would turn into a run we would see you we would gaze at you a few short years and then face to face and until we do we'll sing these songs together songs of ascent the songs for the journey we pray in jesus name amen <laughs>